So welcome. Good to see you all this morning. And if you are listening on the podcast, I just want to speak for a moment to those on the podcast, if that's all right for those of you in here as well. Um, and I've just got this, this sense this morning of people who are listening and they're listening to our church because they maybe come new to the town and they're looking for a church, listening on the podcast and just wondering, is this the church for me? Well, I can't tell you if this is the church for you, only God can do that. But what I can tell you is if you come here, you'll find the most passionate church that I know because we really, really are a passionate bunch, passionate for God, passionate for the things of God. And so, so many, so, so many things. But come along, find out, see what we do, and hopefully you will enjoy it and you'll have a great time. I heard about a woman who took her son to see the village elder. And she, the elder asked her and said, what have you come here for? What is it you want? To which the woman replied, I want you to stop my son from eating chocolate. So the village elder stopped and thought for a moment and then he said, bring him back in two weeks time. So the woman dutifully left and went away and two weeks later she brought her son back and she said, I, I, I brought him back and the village elder turned to the son and he said, stop eating chocolate. And the woman looked at him and she said, why did I need to wait two weeks and come back for that? He said, two weeks ago, he said, I was eating chocolate. Come on, let's say this in faith. I am a child of God, so I am entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I'm ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by his word. Amen. I'm curious this morning, how do you measure some of you will know we, are, we have left the EU. We are no longer in the EU anymore. Some are pleased about that. Some are not so pleased about that. We're not going to go on about that one. But one thing it does, one thing it does bring to light is that the EU have their ideas on how we should measure. And traditionally in Britain, we have our ways of how we should measure. How do you measure? What, what is it that you measure? Do you measure in feet and inches? Is that what you do? Or are you a metres and a centimetres kind of guy? I'm saying guy, women as well, I'm sure. What is it that you do for measuring temperature? Do you think in Celsius? Is that the way you measure? Or do you think about Fahrenheit? How is it you measure the, the, you know, uh, uh, someone you know, for example? Do you measure them by the car they drive? Do you measure them by the house they live in? Is it by how long you've known them? Is it how faithful they are? How do you measure your weight? Is it kilograms? Is it stones? Is it pounds and stones? What is it? What is it you do? How do you measure? In fact, think about this. Do you measure the same way? Do you use the same measure for the same things? So for me, if I'm thinking, sometimes I'll use metres and centimetres, millimetres particularly if I'm doing a building project or something like that, I'm making something, millimetres are far easier, I find. But then if you ask me about height and you were trying to, and, you know, and you were thinking about how tall someone is, I would immediately respond in feet and inches. Anyone else the same? Yeah. yeah. Anyone respond in metres? Would anyone give that in metres? 
Yeah, one or two. Yeah, there's a few in here. Times are changing, aren't they? I mean, when I was growing up, you'd never responded in meters for height. I know 1.8 is six foot, but that's about it. It doesn't go much further than that. Temperature in the summer months, I like to think of, or I think of temperature in Fahrenheit. If it's in the 70s, that's warm. If it's in the 80s, yeah, that's really hot. We're going to have a barbecue. If it's in the 90s, the speedos are coming out. You know, and it, it kind of goes like that. But in winter, this time of year, like 32 Fahrenheit doesn't really mean anything to me. But if you said to me, it's zero, it's freezing, immediately I know what that means. And that makes sense. Minus three. Yeah, that's pretty cold. I'm going to have to put a coat on and, and warm myself up. How do you measure? Because the thing is, if you use the wrong measure, you're going to get the wrong results. So think about this. There's a guy, a, a, a jockey. I, I just want to throw something in, something I'm passionate about, right? Gambling. This is, this is completely off-piste. It's got nothing at all to do with my message, apart from I'm going to mention a, a jockey in a moment. But if you're a gambler in here, I want to urge you to stop. I want to urge you to stop. It, it's, not a, it's not a faith thing to do. Because the whole premise of gambling is to get money without working, without and, and it's all for greed's sake. There's no other real reason for gambling. I know some people could say they do it for a bit of fun, but really you do, you're gambling, you're wagering to get money back. And gambling is a scourge of our society. You are worth, and if you're a gambler, you're actually supporting this. There are today a quarter of a million gamblers who are addicted to gambling in our country, just in our country alone. That's only a population of 60 million. Of those quarter of a million, 50,000 of them are children. Children. In our country, uh, children addicted to gambling. This destroys lives have nothing to do with it. It's a personal opinion. I, I, I stand by it. I believe it's right. I just want to encourage you, stay away from it. It is growing and, and there's an, an industry out there and I believe it is a scourge of our society. I really, really do. There's an industry out there that are pushing it and promoting it. Say all that so you know how I feel about gambling. I did, however, catch something. I do like sports and I caught something about a guy called JP Morgan. Oh, no, A.P. Morgan, I think his name is actually. He's the most successful jockey of all time, right? So if we go back to the measuring thing, if you were going to measure him as to how good a jockey he was, you could use the wrong measure because if you measured him on his failures, he's the, most, he's the worst jockey of all time. He has ridden more failures, more losing horses than any other jockey. Think about that. If you were going to measure his success by how many times he loses, he would come out as bottom of the list. He's ridden more losers than any other jockey. However, he's also ridden more winners than any other jockey because he keeps on going. So how you measure is really, really important if you want to get meaningful results. Monopoly. Anyone like ever play Monopoly when they were a kid or maybe today? I used to love Monopoly and I used to have a strategy with Monopoly, right? I was generally pretty good at Monopoly and it went along like this. The blue ones, Mayfair and Park Lane, do everything you can to get hold of them, right? That was it. Just get them at all costs, right? I would barter. In fact, I fell out with my mother-in-law famously. I don't even think we were married. We ended up in an argument and, and all of this over, over Monopoly because I'm trying to get these pieces and she's as stubborn as me and we're both, and we're both as competitive as each other. So this, this got quite heated and quite tense because she was just being awkward. I've got the mic so I can say that. But anyway, 
But if you measured my success at Monopoly, right, it depends on when you measure it. Because my strategy worked like this, get hold of Mayfair and Park Lane. If I can't get them, stop anyone else from getting the two and maybe go for the greens. And it kind of worked like that. But what I would do is I would use all my money to get them. So at a certain point in the game, I generally have mortgaged everything I've got. I generally not have any money. I generally be trying to pay my debts by kind of selling whatever properties I'd mortgaged to get through. But I knew that nine times out of 10, not long by the time I got uh, houses and hotels on there, I'd be winning. And, by, and there'd be other people, I'd notice other people, they would hoard money. They'd have a big pile of money. And I could see them looking at me like I'm irresponsible and I'm stupid and I don't know what I'm doing because I've got no money. But I'd be thinking, yeah, give it a few go- more goes around that board and I'll have all your money back. And that, generally that would be how it works. Chess. Me and my friend Laurie, we had a couple of games of chess a few weeks ago, didn't we, Laurie, over Christmas time? And, and somebody won at that. At that. <laughs> I, I can't remember who, but there was a winner, do we call that? But there was a point, if you'd have measured in the middle of the game, I remember one of my kids coming in and looking at the game, and, and they were asking, how are you doing, Dad? And, and they were looking at the pieces, and they were saying, oh, Laurie's winning because he's got more pieces than you. He's got better pieces than you. It doesn't always work like that, does it, Laurie? Although it must be said he's a better player than me and and really he should have won, to be fair. But anyway, we won't go any further on that one. Usain Bolt. If you put Usain Bolt in a marathon, I don't think he'd do very well. He's a 100-meter runner. He's the most successful 100-meter runner of all time. He's the world record holder. You stick him in the the marathon, even in the the 1,500, the 2,000 meters, the 5,000 meters, he's going to struggle. He's not going to do as well. Similarly, if you took Mo Farah and you put him on the starting blocks of the 100 metres, how do you think he's going to do? He's probably going to make a fool of himself, isn't he? He's not going to do well, is he? So it's all about how you measure and what we're measuring. And are we measuring the right thing? You've got to know what to measure and how to measure if you want to get meaningful results in life. And I want to give you five things this morning to think about, about measuring, because this is a big part of our lives, and it becomes a, a Christian part of our lives. It's, it's in there. How do you measure? I'm curious. How do you measure your life? What measure do you use to measure your life, and how you're doing, and how you're achieving in life? Is it the same measure, or how does that compare to how God measures your life. I'm curious about this. What about the people who are speaking into your life? Is the measurement that they're using, is that the same as the measurement that you're using? And how do both of those measures line up with the measure that God's using to judge your life and to measure your life and where you're at and how you're doing? I'm curious about that. What measure are you using? Proverbs 24 verse 27 Main verse I really want to focus on this morning says this, it says, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field and after that, build your house. Just read that again. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field and after that, build your house. There's a walled garden in Scotland, or sorry, a walled estate. And it's one of the most magnificent walls in the country. 
But if you ever go and visit it, I don't know whether it's still the case to this day, but there's no house in the middle of it because the owner spent all of his money on making this incredible wall and left himself with no money to build the house. He wasn't able to build the house. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. First point is this, first things first. You want to get your life in order. You want to do your life in the right order, in the correct order. This verse is talking all about how you should start your life and what you should do first and then what you should move on to. And it's a bit of a secret as to what it's talking about and the point it's trying to make. But the first point I want to make is this, seek first God. Seek first God in your life. Put him number one. Make him the first thing that you seek, that you aim for, your number one desire. Because when you seek first God in your life, at that point you align yourself with one of the songs that we've just sang, Waymaker. You align yourself with the Waymaker. You align yourself with the miracle worker. You align yourself with the promise keeper. When you put God first in your life, when you seek him first, you're aligning yourself with those things. And if you just think about the very last one that was mentioned, the promise keeper. The promise keeper. You're aligning yourself with the promise keeper. If you seek him first and you align yourself with him, think about this for a moment. He is the only person, the only one, who can guarantee you anything. Is there anyone that can guarantee you something and you know they will never let you down? There's no one. I don't care who they are. They may say, they may give you all these promises and they may tell you how uh, trustworthy they are. They may tell you how much money they've got. Insurance companies will tell you how, how many assets they've got. The liquid assets and all of that stuff so that they can guarantee you that they will pay out if you ever need to make a claim. But can they guarantee they won't go bust? Can they guarantee market conditions won't change? Nobody can. Nobody can guarantee you anything. No doctor can guarantee you anything. No boss can guarantee you anything. Parents, you can't guarantee your children anything. Children, you can't guarantee your friends and anything that they guarantee you. Don't, I'm not saying don't trust them, but be aware that those guarantees are not perfect. No guarantee is. Everything is subject to, to possible change. Everything is subject to God willing. It says in the Word, this it says about everything in your life, all of your plans, all of your purposes, all of the things you do with your life, to say God willing. Does anyone say that? Yeah. Anyone say when you do you think to say that when you're talking about your plans and what you're going to do and all of those things? Do you think to say God willing? Yeah. God willing. I do. I do that regularly, I always do, I think it annoys people actually to refer those around me because I kind of throw it in and it's difficult isn't it because sometimes you're doing it in because you know why you're doing it and to others it can seem a little bit off but hey that's just one of them things, I know why I'm doing it, I know that it's important to me, I know that I'm giving an acknowledgement there in that that whilst these are my plans 
I'm not in control. I'm not in control. The only one who I trust completely with my life is God. He's the one. He's the only one who can keep his promises. The only one who can guarantee me anything. The first thing is seek first God. Seek him first. Particularly we're talking about prophetic things. Now that might be a strange word. You might be thinking, prophetic things? What does that mean? What's he talking about there? What I'm talking about there is I'm talking about when God says something. When God speaks something out. It might be through his word. It might be something in the Bible that's a promise for us all that any of us can get a hold of. There's lots of promises in the Bible. There's lots of promises. One of them, a really simple one, it says this. It says, if you are faithful with the little, then God will give you more. Faithful with the little, God will give you more. One of the, a brilliant promise to build your life on. Fantastic promise. Focus on the small things. Get them right, God will give you more. He'll increase you in what you have. But there's loads of promises. But there's something more than just these general promises in the Bible. Christians who, who have a relationship with God, who have heard Him, who have had moments with Him, will tell you that God doesn't just give you promises that are for everyone, He gives you personal promises. Personal promises when He tells you what measure to use for your life. Where He wants you to go with your life. What He wants you to do with your life. The reason you were created. The reason you are here. What your life is all about. And it's not just about you. It's not just about you. The second thing to think about when we're thinking about measuring our life and other people measuring our lives is this, that you can't measure your life using someone else's measure and expect to get meaningful results. You can't use someone else's measure to measure your life. So they may be particularly, I was watching the worship band and, and I'm like, I, I love to worship. I was, I was singing my heart out this morning and I was making a joyful sound to the Lord, right? The problem was it wasn't a joyful sound to the rest of the people in the house as my son was at pains to tell me and to try and request that I kind of quieten it down a little bit. I'll leave you to guess how successful he was in that. But anyway, I was watching them and I was kind of listening to them and I was kind of thinking, you know, I would love to, to have a voice like these guys have and how they're able to sing, but I can't. I'm not. I, my voice isn't as good as them. I'm not as good as them, unfortunately, on the singing front, right? But here's the thing. I don't need to measure my life by their voice. Yeah. I don't need to measure my life by how good a singer I am. There's, I've got my own measure, yeah. my own God-given measure on how I measure my life and where I'm at with my life. Yeah. And it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing to measure. It's a good thing to measure where you are in your life the key thing is you've got to use the right measure. You've got to use your measure and not someone else's. If you use someone else's, you're destined to fail. Because your measure is, I would, I would go as far as to say, unique. Unique. We are all unique. Is there any two of us that has the same fingerprints? We all know this. We've heard it so many times. So none of us are the same. God has created us all 
different with our own unique personalities and our own calling that all the things that he wants you to do with your life are unique to you and they're not for someone else and tread carefully when you measure others because you tread on their dreams tread carefully when you measure others because you're treading on their dreams you're treading on their life you're treading on their calling if they're a christian So tread carefully, think about it before you start judging others and and measuring them as to where they're at. How do you know where they should be at this point in time? How do you know that they haven't got the same monopoly mindset as me and they've got a plan and they know what they're doing and in a few years' time it'll all be obvious and it'll all become clear because that's so often the point. The amount of times we have people telling us we don't know what we're doing, we're doing things wrong and all of that. Hey, time, time, time. Time sorts it out. It says in Acts, I think it's in Acts anyway, I didn't look up this verse, just come to me. It says this, do not judge ahead of time. Do not judge, it says in the word, ahead of time because you'll get it wrong. You'll get it wrong. Be careful when you judge others because you tread on their dreams. Third point that I want to raise about measuring, and it's a good one, I like this one. It's clarity. Having clarity about what your purpose and your plan in life is. Think about this for a moment. The third point, having clarity about the plan and the purpose, your mission in life. Because that is the basis, that is the base, the foundation of living the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Having clarity about what your mission is in life. And that clarity, you never get it fully. Paul said we see through a glass dimly. What that means is he was referring to mirrors in, in 2,000 years ago. Hey, they weren't as good as they are today. So when you looked in a mirror 2,000 years ago, it was a hazy image. Glass wasn't as good. It didn't look as clear. And that's what Paul's referring to. He, what he's saying is that we, we basically, we see the world in a bit of a fog, in a bit of a haze. Yes, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer as we go on with God, but we never really see it fully. We're not God. We're not God. So life is about working out your mission. Life is about discovering and getting more and more clarity on what it is. Keeping close relationship with God so you get to know Him. So you learn and you get better and you understand it more. And as times change and as situations change in your life, maybe there's been a dramatic life change in your life. Maybe circumstances have changed. Maybe you've had a a job change. Maybe you've worked for a company for years and years and years and suddenly that company's gone bust. Maybe the football team that you support isn't as successful as they used to be. Who knows whatever it is. But listen, things change. Things change. And we always need to keep going back to God and understanding what it is that we're meant to be doing. What our calling is. And our clarity comes from God. It comes from Him. And what we want is, we don't just want the clarity about ourselves We want clarity. You see, successful people, successful Christians pay attention to the role that they play in the kingdom of God, not just in their own life. Think about this for a moment. 
If you want to live a successful Christian life, don't just pay attention to yourself and your role and what you do. Pay attention to how your role fits in with the bigger picture. What your place is in it. And be faithful to that. Allow others to do what they've got to do. And you do ensure, do your best to do what it is that you're called to do. That's so important. So many times we're trying to get into someone else's lane and do what they're doing and what they're called to do. And you know what happens when a runner ends up in someone else's lane? They both fall over. They both lose the race. No, we need to stay in our own lane. We need to move forward. You know the declaration that we read at the beginning? Do you know what that's about? You might think to yourself, oh, we say that every week and, and that's okay and sometimes it can lose a little bit of its meaningness. It's not just about that. It's not just about the words we say, although I believe they're important. It was written for us all to say together. It was written so that we're saying something in unity. A declaration said together. There's certain things you can do on your own. There's certain things you can pray on your own. You can do all these kind of things. You can, you can worship on your own. But living a life, a full and complete life, there are things that you need to do in unity. There's things that we need to do together. There's things that we can only achieve together as Christians. And that's why God implemented the church. That's why it's so important. It's about us being together. Why do you think soldiers, ever, ever wondered why soldiers, soldiers, the army, the sergeant will spend hours upon hours upon hours training his soldiers to march in step. To march in step. Why is he doing that? Why spend all that time? Think about it. We all know soldiers will spend weeks, months. They're always practicing marching in step. When they're out on mission, they march in step. They don't march separately. In fact, the only time they break step is when they march over a bridge. Because when you march over a bridge in step, you're at risk of actually causing the bridge to collapse because of the resonant frequency and all of that stuff, but we're getting a bit engineering and technically minded there, but we'll leave that for a moment. But that's the only time that soldiers will break step. They march in step. It's about unity. It's about being one. It's about knowing that you can turn to the guy next to you and you can know he's there right at your side. You know that he's for you. You know that he's with you and he knows the same about you. That's as, as Christians above all else. Above all else, unity. Unity. God speaks so highly about unity and us being one and us being united around our purpose and our vision and our mission and what it is that we're doing and why we're called in life. You know, when I said about the, the hidden part of the verse in Proverbs about the field and, and sorting out that before you turn to your house, do you know what it is yet? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. Put him first. Jesus said, seek me first. Seek God first. And all of his purposes and plans and everything that he's got for you. And all these things will be added unto you. The field represents your life outside. Get it in order first. Sort out your life with God first. Sort out all of those external things. Make sure your relationship's right. Make sure you, you're becoming a better Christian. You're getting deeper with, as a church that we're all growing together. 
And then, and then God says, you know what he says? He says, I will build your house. He says, I will build your house. No one who's given up anything for me will lose out. They will all get it back and more, he says. It's a promise. It's a promise. A promise from God. Hallelujah. Fourth point is hunger. How hungry are you? Seriously, how hungry are you? This, this could easily be a series, let alone a, a, a small segment in one message. This is such a, 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 a deep thing to understand and, and to get your head around. How hungry are you? Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. The Bible talks a lot about us being hungry, about us being hungry for God. How hungry are you for God? How hungry are you for the mission? How much do you thirst for God? How much do you thirst for the mission that he's given you? How much do you thirst to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be, that he wants you to be? What price would you pay? What would you give for God and your life in him? And as I was thinking about this point and I was preparing it and you see, for me, right, this is easy. Everything. Literally everything. Everything. It's number one. Above all else, number one, above all else. That is number one. God is number one. His plans, his mission, everything. Above all of my concerns. Now, am I saying I get it all right perfectly and I never make a mistake and you'll never see me being selfish or whatever? No, of course I'm not. Let's be realistic about this, right? But I have purposed and planned in my heart that, I, that I'm going to live my life putting him number one. I did it 20 odd years ago and it ain't changed and it ain't going to change. That's my life. It's number one. And the thing about that is, is this, it was tested last year, this last 12 months, been really tested, probably more than it's ever been tested before. And, and in that testing, in that testing, there were no guarantees. No one could guarantee me anything, guarantee how things would go. There was all kinds of things going on, all kinds of issues, all kinds of things being said, all kinds of slanderous stuff going on, you name it, evil stuff, wicked stuff. Wicked stuff, honestly, horrible, horrible stuff. In it, in the midst of it, in the middle of the night, all the way through it, the only thing, the only thing I focused on was the things that I knew, the personal promises that I knew that God had given me. Them, they were my anchor. They're written down, I've got, I've got them filed away and I'd pick them up and I'd look at them, I'd read them if I ever felt anxious or concerned and I knew, because I knew, I knew. And, and here's the thing, right? Over this last 12, month, 12 months, I've always kept a record uh, for, for years now, going back probably from early days of being a Christian, of the things that God said to me. I used to write it in the front of my Bible, in the back of my Bible and all kinds of things. And God spoke to me, keep a note of it and keep a record of it. And I've got that going back years. But this year was a time of going back over those promises. Yeah. This year was a time of reaping from what I'd sown in the past or really what had been sown for me by God, sown into me by God. 
by being diligent, by seeking him, God had put into me. And this was now a time for reaping from that. And here's the strange thing, and, and isn't this so much, if, you've, if you're a Christian in this place, you've been a Christian for years, you'll know what I'm on about. As I'm going back over them promises, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a time of kind of, if you like, taking from, the, from what's been sown, you know, recovering back, if you like, taking from it, rather than writing them down and putting them down. I got more promises in this last 12 months than I've ever had in any other year of the last 20 odd years as a Christian. The more I'm, I'm, I'm going back over this and I'm seeing what God's saying to me, he's just giving me more and more and more promises. He's just affirming them more and more and more. Giving me dreams. I had I literally, in the midst of it, I had a dream of the ending. I saw it. I spoke it to Vicky. I think I told Tina as well. I had a dream. I saw what was going to happen on this specific day and exactly that happened. Exactly that happened. People were saying, no, that, that, you, you know, you, you need to be concerned and you need to be worried and all of those things. And I said this, I preached it a few months back, said this, it says, be anxious for nothing. Yeah. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is not the goal. Mm-hmm. People will tell you, oh yeah, you should be worried, <laughs> you should be concerned. That's contrary to what the word says. Yeah. The word says, be anxious for nothing says take all your fears and all your worries to God give them to him and the peace of God will will cover your hearts if you like I'm paraphrasing it slightly guard your hearts the peace of God will guard your heart and how much and how much what price are you willing to pay what price are you willing to pay? Lots of people, lots of, you know, you, you will hear preachers saying, telling you you can have anything, we can do all things through Christ and all of these great messages and they are true. I have no issue with them whatsoever. You just need to be aware that nothing is free except for salvation. Yeah. Salvation is free, completely unearned. But outside of that, after that, everything else, there's a cost. Yeah. There's a cost. There's a cost. Listen to this. Can we get the verses up? Jesus said this. He says, but don't begin. Don't begin until you count the cost. Have we got the verses up yet? Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation, or you might have this grand estate in Scotland and only get the wall finished. (laughs) Before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you, much like we've all laughed at the guy in Scotland. It's true, isn't it? They would say, there's the person who started, I'm doing it today, I just realised, literally, as I'm reading this out, this is that guy in Scotland, literally, they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. That is incredible. I didn't plan that, by the way. Verse 31, Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own harsh words right I'm a Christian I'm a pastor 
I want to encourage people to become Christians. We celebrate when people become a Christian in this place, right? What I can't do is tell you it's going to be easy. What I can't do is tell you there's, there's going to be no cost. What I can't do is give you any guarantees on what that, that life's going to be like. I can't guarantee any of those things. In fact, what I can't, what, there are one or two things I can guarantee. One of them is persecution. Persecution. Says in the word that in these days, it says that they will, they will, they will kill the prophets and they'll think they're doing God's work. <coughs> That's what it says, isn't it? They'll kill the prophets and they'll think they're doing God's work. We've met a few of them the last 12 months and they think they're doing God's work. It's like, come on. It's like, how does that line up? Viciousness and, and, and slander and all, how does that line up with the word? The last measure, the last thing to consider when you're measuring, and you could argue, I mean, listen, I could have filled this message with 20 points easily, more even, but we just picked five for the sake of brevity and so we're not here all day. <laughs> the last point is you, you could never compile a list, no matter how concise, without this one. This one is key. Without this one, all the others are meaningless. And, and that is action. Yeah. Action. All the talk, all the praying, all the discussing, all of those things are utterly meaningless. They are all naught, they are all zero, they are all useless until you do, until you step out. And Proverbs says this, it says, in fact, I, actually, I've written Proverbs now, I think it's Ecclesiastes, actually. So, uh, but it, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Ecclesiastes. It says, the one who waits for perfect conditions never gets anything done. Yeah. I, 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 we, we, as a church, we plan and we strategize and we think about what we're doing. We put plans in place. One thing, and I'm sure this frustrates others, I like to start and get cracking before we're completely ready. Literally, I like to start, and, and I, I won't change on that, and I'll quote that verse for you as my defense in starting before we're ready. Now, there is a tension between it, because to be reckless and just start when you haven't got a clue and you don't know what you're doing, that's obviously silly and reckless, okay? But what I don't ever want to do is, I don't ever want to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until we've got everything in place, everything's perfect, we know exactly how we're going to do it, everything's organized, we've got it all together, because then we're kind of doing it in our own strength doesn't leave room for God doesn't leave room for him to step in doesn't leave room for him to bail us out when what goes wrong doesn't leave room for him to go hey you know that problem you couldn't solve here you go here's here's how you do it I've got the answer for that one there's there's the answer right there just at the perfect time just when you're struggling, just when you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, just when you don't know how you're going to fit it all in, just when you don't know where the next meal's going to come from, I'm going to provide it right there. We all love to know where our provision is and where all of the things we need are, and that's all great and that's all good. And we do that as much as we can. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We plan, we plan a lot, but I don't plan every detail. 
I don't want to plan every detail. I don't want to know what I'm having for tea on Wednesday night. I want a little bit of excitement in my life. I just, that's a kind of little bit of a joke between us. My, my wife likes to plan the meals like weeks in advance. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to know that. That's kind of defeats the objects. I want a little bit of excitement in my life. <laughs> I just want a little bit of mystery. <laughs> I don't want to know what it is on Wednesday night for tea. Can we just, like, you know, leave a bit of excitement? For, keep it a secret. Don't tell me. Just excite, be exciting. You know, it talks about no guarantees. Apart from salvation. God guarantees salvation to the Christian. He guarantees eternity to all of us. To the Christian, he guarantees that we will spend eternity with him. He says that we will be with him for all eternity. He says that at the end of our lives, he says he will take up all the things that we've done for him and will get rewards for them. If you're thinking maybe you're a new Christian, maybe you, you've not been a Christian very long and you're thinking, well, I've only been a Christian a few months. Heaven ain't going to be much for me. Don't worry, because what he says is, he says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He tells this great story about people who worked for the day. And there were some that started at nine in the morning and some that came later on in the morning, some midday, some in the afternoon. And there was a few even. The, the, the boss, he was like, I need some more workers, goes out at the end of the day and gets the last few people from the town who still haven't had any work. And he says, come on, come and work for me, come and work for me. So they go over and they work and he's handing out the wages and guess what? He gives them all the same wage. He gives them all the same wage. The early ones start moaning and saying, but hold on, we've worked all day. They only worked an hour. He says, hold on, it's my money, isn't it? It's my money. We agreed the wage at the beginning. The rewards, doesn't matter whether you came in at the last or whether you came in right at the beginning. It's down to your faith. The only way you can please God is the things you've done in faith. All of your abilities, all of your plans and purposes and all of that, all of your strengths, they don't impress God. He doesn't reward you based on how good a singer you were. Sorry, mate. He doesn't reward you on how great you play. I thought your keyboard playing was great today, by the way, Kate. I was trying to catch your eyes to give you a high five. I think the last, was it the last, second to last song? Incredible. Was it, which one was that? Second to last? My, build my life. Yeah, because literally I asked them to do that this morning. That was down to me. So that, I was pr particularly impressed with that, Katie. But he's not going to reward you for it. He, you actually won't. Now, your faithfulness, what he re will reward you for is your faithfulness for saying, hey, I'm going to take the time to, to practice my keyboard. Because when you started the team, you, you couldn't really. You were bad as me, weren't you? Come on. That is that. <laughs> But your gift, your propensity to play, did you create that? Was that like, did you like flick a switch and suddenly you had this keyboard gift? I mean, Fat Mon, your singing voice, did, 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 was that something, you, did you go for surgery to have that? Did, did someone give you that? It's God, wasn't it? Your gifts and your talents, you won't get a reward for, but the faith that you exhibit, yeah. your faithfulness with them, 
what you do with them. It's not how gifted you are. It's what you do with the gift that you've got that counts. Doesn't matter whether you can sing like these guys or whether you can't. Doesn't matter whether you're the Sue who turns up here in this church. Sue is here. She's one of the first ones here and one of the last ones to leave. She goes around. She cleans this church. She's faithful in every single area of her life that I'm aware of. I cannot believe, I know for certainty, that these guys ain't going to get any greater reward than Sue that you don't see. You don't see what Sue does, not many of you anyway. You turn up and it's all kind of done for you, it's clean and whatever. Well, clean-ish, no, it's not because of Sue, it's just because we're in an old building and we're working on it. And it's hard work. I want to pray for you. Can I do that? Come on, stand. Stand in faith with me. If you want me to pray for you, stand. Just getting a real strong feeling that there's some of you in here this morning and people have been measuring your life. And I've been telling you that you're failing, you're not meeting the mark. I just want to free you from that. Use this word. Use this word. Seek God. Ask him for what, how he's measuring your life. See, our life is measured by our faith, not by anything else. It's not by your gifts or your talents or any of those things might take you twice as long to get the results, get the GCSEs, whatever it is. God doesn't care about that. He's not interested in those things. He's only interested in your faith in Him. Because at the end of it all, it's you and Him. The end of it all, it's you and Him. He'll judge you. He'll see your face, and, uh, your faith, sorry, and He won't make a mistake. Be freed now. Stop using other people's measures. If they start talking to you with their measures, just be polite and then just ignore them. Stop using your own measure. Ask God what his measure is and start using that. It feels like there's some people in here and you're hearing a lot, a lot of people talking about promises of God and purpose and mission. Mission we talked about and you may be there saying, I don't feel like I've got a mission. I want to speak to those of you in here tonight and maybe even on the podcast and you say, well, I don't feel like I've got a mission. First, I want to pray, Lord, would you just in, see their faith? Lord, I know you do. I ask you to reward the faith right now. Bring back to their mind, bring back to their understanding, Lord, the things that you've already spoken. I believe you've already spoken it to them and maybe they've not realised it, maybe they've not understood it at the time. Lord, bring it back to their mind right now, we pray. In Jesus' name. There's some of you who just want to recommit this morning. Been living your life and other people's measure, other people's ways the way other people would say you should live your life, not how God says you should live your life. You've had that anxiety within that you've known you've not been living your life right. Something inside said that. 
just want to pray for you now. So, listen, I never said it was going to be easy. I I said that earlier on. I said it's it's not always going to be easy, but maybe with our eyes closed and heads bowed, it's going to ask in faith if that's you, if you feel like you've you've not been hitting the mark, you, you just, you know, it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing for you. Just want to ask you to raise your hand, just only so I can pray. There's already hands going up. Just so I can pray for you. I see hands going up in the middle. Hallelujah. Front, back, in the middle. Hallelujah. Jesus. Lord, I just want to pray for those people who faithfully raised their hand right now, Lord. Lord, I don't measure them. It's not my place to measure them. Lord, I, I ask... Or I just tell you, actually, you people who've raised your hand, just again from God, he's saying, stop measuring yourself. You're, you're not able. You're not able to do it. You don't know enough to be able to measure how well you're doing. You're not God. Allow him to measure your life. Allow him right now to measure your life and where you're at. Lord, just stir up that gift that's within them, Lord, as they've raised their hands in faith to you. Stir it up, Lord. Stir it up, we pray in Jesus' name. And just finally, if there's anyone in here, um, you're concerned, you don't know, I talked before about going to heaven, and maybe that question is in your mind, that I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I was to walk out of this place today, I don't know where I would end up. I don't know if I would end up in heaven, I don't know if I would end up in hell. If you want that certainty of where you will end up, it's not a feeling. You need to understand it's not a feeling, it's a promise. It's a promise. It's referred to in many places in the Bible. The easiest one, the most famous one, is in Romans, Romans 10. And he says, if you'll confess, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's a promise. It's not a feeling, it's a promise. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Full stop. You will be saved. If you want a surety right now, this is between you and God. I'm not going to labour this, but this is between you and God right now. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so I can pray for you. We're going to, all of us, we're going to say a prayer together. I'm not going to put you on show, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so, so I can pray for you. Yep, I see a hand already. Anyone else? There's two hands. Anyone else? Three hands. Anyone else? Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Was that another one? I can't tell. Here's what I found. Anyone else? Three hands. Hallelujah. 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 I want to pray for you right now. Come on. Should we pray together? Church, should we all pray together with them? With these people? Come on. Let's do it. Pray. Just pray as you can. Pray as you are. God hears, hears your heart. Lord Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. you. Thank you you. for saving me. me. Help me now now. to live a worthy life life. for you you. all the days of my life. life. In In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. 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 Hallelujah.